Hello and welcome back to the Linux Gaming Co-op News Punch. This is episode 29 and we're actually not only on time, we are early for once. This is Liam and I am joined once again by Samzai. How's it going? It's going fantastically well. Good. We've had uh, quite a busy week really, haven't we? Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Like A lot of stuff just kind of happens to sometimes coalesce around the same time and then a lot of things happen yeah it's been we've had we've had like a number of releases a lot of news and that's why we're kind of doing this a little bit early because we're you know the topics are starting to stack up that's right yeah there's been absolutely loads recently and we're going to start with quite a big one because metro exodus from 4a games has actually been released officially on Linux now, but it's been quite a rough launch, hasn't it? Yeah, it's it's. There's been a lot of complaining, a lot of crashing, a lot of memory leaking, and uh, I mean, luckily these things are seemingly starting to get fixed. But it it definitely wasn't very smooth as far as like the launch is concerned. Yeah, see, it's a big game, and like a lot of big games, they have lots of bugs and other assorted issues. Interestingly enough, some of them are exactly the same bugs as on Windows, as I found out. But the more pressing one is that when it released, AMD users were sort of left out in the cold a bit, weren't they? Yeah, the the big problem was obviously that uh, on RAD-V, the game would leak memory and you'd be able to play like maybe 15 minutes or so before your system RAM was completely used up and then the game would crash. The good thing is that apparently that has been like the the problem has been identified in Mesa and a fix for that has been merged in already. So I'm still waiting for that to actually be shipped in a release. The second problem was in the meantime, you could play it on AMD VLK, I guess, to like varying amounts of success. I had some graphical glitches when I tried it on my RX 580 and yeah, it wasn't a very good experience and it kind of apparently it's it's slower and stuff like that but it doesn't leak memory so i guess in the meantime it can be used to enjoy the game the turnaround though on the rad v amd driver issue was pretty impressive because i think from the bug report on the Mesa issue list to a fix getting merged into Mesa was only about a week yeah i mean they are they're pretty speedy when they you know when they're motivated enough yeah exactly but um, there were other issues, weren't there? Yeah, there was the second issue that I particularly ran into along with a couple of other people is that the game didn't start on Wayland and it took a while to figure out why it didn't do so and the, the reason is basically super weird. The game will run on Wayland, but you have to turn on VSync what? before it will do so. Yeah, it, it makes no sense. I have never before seen an issue like this, but apparently the ge- the game will default to VSync off, but something about the VSync there is breaking the game on Wayland, so you have to turn it on and then the game will launch and <laughs> it will it will w- work just fine. I've tested it. Well, up until it crashes though, right? Well, I mean, I tried it on AMD VLK and it didn't crash, but it was just a horrible experience in every other way because there's a lot of, like, flashy glitches and sometimes you just kind of lose vision temporarily. <laughs> um, so I only played, like, 
30 minutes into the game and then I just kind of like was like okay I'll just back in the oven I'll I'll just leave this for a little while longer well with the patch that got merged into Mesa it's hopefully and it looks like it will be backported into the stable releases so within the next couple of weeks most people should be able to play it yeah that's that's hopefully the case in the meantime I'm still waiting on doing like a metro last light playthrough on stream so i'm probably gonna be waiting on metro exodus for a while well the good thing is though once you're actually able to get it running so on nvidia it's it's been okay uh but the performance of it is actually really really good but even on nvidia the memory use the ram use of the game is ridiculously high for some reason mm. like even when it seems it shouldn't be but it's such it it's weird because I've had times where I've loaded it up and it's not used much, but then there's been other times where it's sucked away like 90% of my RAM. It's, it's Yeah, it's really strange. I think there are some issues with it on NVIDIA as well. And in uh, particular, there is a bug in the game. Once you get to so the second area in the game, the desert, there's certain places where it will just completely crash. And I thought, oh, is that another issue in the Linux port? So I googled around, I researched around, I read loads of posts on this from different people. It's an issue in the Windows version as well. And all of the replies were basically turn your settings down until the crashes stop, get past it, then turn them back up. I did that. And yeah, sure enough, it works. So it's like they're consistent with the bugs, at least. Yeah, I mean, that's that's seemingly been the case with Foray. I played Metro 2033 Redux not that long ago, and this is the Redux version. And towards the end of that game, I was basically soft-locking the game by accident, like, constantly, and I had to go looking. I was like, okay, is this a Linux bug? No, apparently it's a bug originating from the original version of the game, the Met- like Metro 2033 non-Redux, that they managed to port into the Redux version, and the bug exists on all platforms. So it seems like... No, it might be a developer error, could be, possibly. Yeah, well, that is the problem with these huge games, though, isn't it? There's so many issues with them constantly, and it's so hard for the developers to actually track a lot of them down just because the code bases get so huge. Yeah, I mean, the the engine these things run on, I think it's custom technology, so... Yeah, so it's not even they can go and complain to someone, they have to fix it themselves. Yeah. Yeah rough but amd users when you can eventually play it properly it's worth doing it's so far i'm about eight or nine hours in and i have been really enjoying it apart from the crash bugs in the desert area but yeah mm. yeah it's, it's, it's a really good game yeah i mean pl- having played both metro 2033 and last light i would imagine that it's probably fantastic it's another game that's screenshot material. So Metro Exodus, there's just so many scenes in it that I've just been mashing the F12 key for the Steam overlay screenshot capture because it just it blows you away at times. Yeah, it's really impressive. Mm. Well, that's pretty nice. Now, there's been another game that we're quite fond of that's received a huge update recently, which is Stellaris. And there's something about Free Dick. What? Uh yes, the uh, the Stellaris three point uh update that was called Dick, and then I put in <laughs> the notes that it gives you some free Dick. Um, 
You want to expand on that, or are you going to leave me hanging now? Sorry, sorry, what now? <laughs> Excuse me? I, I think I'm just going to ignore that entirely. But yeah, the uh, Stellaris 3.0 came out uh, alongside the Nemesis expansion. The big thing about the Nemesis expansion was, like, you could, you can do, like, espionage now, and then there is the possibility of becoming, like, this galactic crisis or a custodian to save the galaxy kind of deal. Yeah, it sounds absolutely awesome because it's being the nemesis is almost like you are the literal empire from Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I imagine it plays out a little bit. I, I haven't tried the uh, the nemesis stuff. I haven't gotten the expansion yet, but it has alongside all of the nemesis stuff, which does sound cool. It also brought out a lot of like vanilla improvements. Uh, so the the basic espionage system is already in there. So you have to now like collect intel on other empires to learn about what their like uh, economy and research and fleet powers are like, and to kind of like gain access to where their planets are and all of that stuff. So that has kind of changed a little bit. The borders of empires are not obvious from the get go. Um, they also overhauled the first contact system, so now you have to spend a little bit more time on uh, researching new contacts when you kind of run across a new empire or a new species. And they also changed it so that it doesn't take away society research anymore. It's a, it's a separate system that uses Envoys to uh, figure that stuff out, so that's pretty cool, because it means that you're initial like society research isn't crippled when you start meeting all of these new empires they also changed out some of the planetary improvement stuff they added a new district type that allows you to create consumer goods and alloys at the same time and they reduced the number of special buildings that you can build per planet so the planetary construction stuff works a little bit differently I've, i've been enjoying that stuff um, I, I've played like an, an almost an entire game of the new version, and uh, so far it's been working out quite well. And uh, it actually has been probably the least buggy, like initial initially buggy version of Stellaris that I've played. Usually they've t- taken like a patch or two to uh, really get going, but this one has been pretty solid. I've heard some complaints about a new. I think it's a sort of a feature thing. Um, the population growth of your empire now scales based on your total population. So the more people your empire has, the slower new pops grow. Uh, I've heard some that people seems a bit on the forums. Yeah, that that sounds a little bit backwards. I think it's to limit so that your your uh, population growth doesn't like explode right, yeah. towards the end of the game. Um, I've heard some people complain that it's too restrictive. So they they even say something like. Um, like colonization towards late game doesn't matter anymore because you will never never be able to actually get enough people there. It's they they say that it caps out somewhere around one thousand pops, and after that you really have a hard time picking up more pops. But based on the game that I've been playing, I've been just completely dominating the entire galaxy, and I don't think I've even crossed one thousand pops yet. Like I wasn't even anywhere close. So it doesn't seem like, at least for my playstyle, it doesn't really matter too much. But apparently some people have been complaining about it, so it's worth picking, uh, like, kind of pointing that out. Okay. The thing about Paradox Games is every time they do one of these big expansions, they do a massive free update as well. And every time you come back to their games, 
it just it seems to be like almost a different game. Like Stellaris has changed so much since the original release. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, it's basically an entire different game now. Yeah, but it's but great. I think it, yeah, I mean, I think the evolution has been positive. I think the uh, that Stellaris 3.0 is a better game than Stellaris 1.0 was. Yeah, and like the last major update, so the 2.0, that was a huge improvement as well. And especially mm. because most of these major systems go out for everybody. I really like their business model. I know a lot of people out there complain about lots of DLC, but it's it's not just a game where a company is releasing DLC after DLC after DLC to fill a list and get lots of money. The point about Paradox, how they do it, is they do free updates for everyone, and then they do big expansions and smaller little often at times even just cosmetic dlcs and all of that money funnels back into the development of the main game to keep it going yeah it it is it is pretty fun i think in some of the federation stuff like i i have played the game with basically almost all of the dlcs and then now i like i don't actually own uh i don't think i have federations i don't have nemesis i think those are the two big ones that i don't have i also don't have distance stars but Having played it with the DLCs, it seems a little bit emptier when you play it without them. But the thing is, I can't say for sure that, like, I'm pretty sure that, like, there are now more features in the base game than there used to be before these DLCs came out. So I think it's more of a problem of having played with all of the fun stuff and then going back to not having all of the fun stuff. So now some of the stuff seems a little bit empty now. But I imagine if I hadn't picked up the DLCs and I had been just playing the base vanilla version of the game, I bet it would probably have been like a massive improvement overall, like throughout all of these versions. Yeah, absolutely. Stellaris just keeps on getting better in my eyes. Yeah. On the subject of something getting better, here's the complete opposite. Nice. Clubata dropped support for Linux and MacOS for Crossroads in Anniversary Edition. Which, I'll be honest, I think the way this was handled was complete bullshit. Mm. The The game was a buggy mess at release. It still is a buggy mess even now. And the way this was handled was completely ridiculous. So they released an update and in the announcement on Steam, there was just a, basically a one-liner to say they're working on getting the patch playable for Mac and Linux. However, once that is completed... Support for these platforms will be discontinued. That was it. Nice. <laughs> no. So basically, they, they they want to port it once and then just ditch it after that. It's just, it's it's not reviewed well. It's clearly not done well for them overall. They seem to have really struggled with this title. And I don't want to dwell on it for too long, but it's just the way it's been handled really annoyed me because there was no... Not even the tiniest apology there. Just a, a, it's a real cold and blunt. We're discontinuing it for you. Thanks for hmm. thanks for giving us your money. Yeah, always nice. So yeah, not not sure how I feel about Clubator going forwards. Well, I mean, I guess the good thing is that since it was a mess and since it hasn't actually done well, I guess we're not like missing out on much. No. That's the main point. I mean, it wasn't exactly a big game. It didn't review well. Um, yeah, it's it's just annoying that developers can just drop support like that. It's, again, a problem of being a niche platform, isn't it? 
Yeah. Luckily, there are other games that work and have actual support, so... Yeah. On the subject of games on Steam, we have something way more positive now, because Open TTD, so Open Transport Tycoon Deluxe, has arrived on Steam, which is pretty mm. amazing, actually, when you think about the history of this game. I think this is probably where I need to admit that I actually have never never actually played Open TTD. <gasps> what? Yeah. I, it's just like I've never gotten around to doing it, but like I've I've known about it exist its existence. I've kind of been vaguely following its development. But I have actually never really tried it, but I've heard many good things. Oh, it is absolutely fantastic! So, Open TDD is the open source simulation game, and it's based upon Transport Tycoon Deluxe from Chris Sawyer. So, it basically mimics almost entirely everything about the original game keeping it as close as possible but it also extends it with absolutely loads of features like huge maps dedicated online server multiplayer that you can play with anyone better ais it just you know like it just makes everything better it is Mm. a fantastic example of open source in action keeping an incredible game alive and further improving it and now that it's on steam it has access to a much bigger library of players to appreciate this fantastic open source game as well would you say that them bringing the game on steam has solved a hard problem for them i have no idea what you're referring to oh i i heard some like murmurs about there being like some kind of a hard problem in open source about distributing software versions that are up to date yeah, I I think I know what you're saying. That so, with it being on Steam, they can just publish the updates there, and anybody who wants to have it up to date as soon as it's updated can have it there. Versus different distributions having different update times. I can see there could be an issue there for people who want the day one update. Mm. So is, is Steam the only way that we can get up-to-date software on mul- like multiple different distributions of Linux? Well, no, that's complete rubbish, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because there's many ways to publish games for Linux that can be rolled out across different distributions. You have snaps, flatpacks, app images. You can have just plain tar files for people to extract. You can have an auto-updater. There's many different ways. Yeah, and uh, OpenTTD, to my knowledge, has been providing like an up-to-date uh, tarball for Linux users that they could just download and run. It basically just contains a uh, binary, apparently. Yeah, you literally go to OpenTTD.org, click the download link that is on the homepage, and there's links for dedicated Debian files. There's generic Linux binaries that you just download and extract, and there's also Ubuntu-specific. So... Yeah, there there is ways to get it up to date as soon as it comes out across any distribution. It's yeah. the the only time it, it is an issue is people making an issue out of it because it doesn't auto update from what you've already got. I can sort of see a point of view on that, but really for a game like this that's free and open source quickly going to the website downloading the new archive and just replacing what you've already got is not an issue really is it 
or you just wait for the flat pack version or whatever to be updated because it apparently updated like within a week from the new version of OpenTCD being released. Yeah. But I mean, so for some people, it's uh, important to make a lot of noise about very minor things and make very flashy headlines about it. But I mean, it's it's cool. I mean, the game being on Steam, it's um, I mean, it makes it available to a lot of people, uh, so they get a lot of eyeballs on the game. And obviously, for some people that already use Steam, I mean, may as well take advantage of Steam in that case if you're uh, if you feel like doing that. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, being on Steam is just an improvement anyway. Yeah, I mean, more more distribution channels, the better. Yeah, in my opinion. Exactly. Yeah. In other open source news, one of my favorite real time strategy games, Warzone twenty one hundred four point has been released, and it comes with Vulcan support. I have to kind of wonder: Does the Vulcan renderer actually bring tangible improvements to this game? I mean, we're talking about a game that is old really quite old that that has been running just fine up until this point without any issues yeah i get what you're saying uh warzone 2100 has been around for a very long time i played this originally on the first playstation like this is how old this game is (laughs) and i i remember even back then having such an amazing time with it and eventually the developers and publisher allowed it to be released as open source and then a group formed around it and they've just expanded it continually and yeah now the latest version brings in vulcan api support and yeah it it didn't really need it i mean it did run amazingly well with OpenGL, but with vulcan it gives it more room to grow again i guess yeah, I mean, it's amazing to see that a project, you know, this old. I mean, the, the open source project is pretty old by itself. Yeah. But not to mention that it's based on a game that is even older and still getting updated and now getting, you know, ported to a modern uh, kind of graphics API. It's it's pretty awesome to see, really. Um, it's just that I it kind of seems a little bit funny to me that we're like, chasing modern display and like uh rendering apis uh with a game that is pretty simplistic in its graphical you know effects and style yeah yeah it is it is quite retro compared to a lot of modern real-time strategy games coming out in terms of pure graphical fidelity but warzone 2100 overall though is still such a unique game because of the design system involved. So you research different objects and weapons and so on, and then you create your vehicles yourself out of parts. So you design them and then save it, and then you build them up. It's it was such a brilliant system, and it still to this day holds up amazingly well. So with Vulcan, hopefully then for future generations, it, it can just continue to be amazing. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is that it will... I mean, if they keep updating it, it will always remain compatible with the latest and greatest in terms of the technology that we're using. So, I mean, in that sense, bringing it to a Vulcan renderer would already be, you know, worthwhile. Yeah, it might even open it up to more platforms down the line. Who knows? Yeah, possibly. But like OpenTTD, 
this is again such an amazing example of open source. I keep saying things like this because it is so true. This was originally a full commercial title with a developer and publisher across consoles, later on PC and so on, on Windows. And eventually with the open source release, it was then officially done on Linux as well. But it's just old, older games. I wish, I wish more developers and publishers would just open them up. Yeah, I mean, this is a good way for both of these games to be archived because, you know, not only are people keeping the files online and accessible, but they're also making sure that those files keep working on the newest operating systems. So you don't have to go and mess with like a convoluted setup of emulators and compatibility layers to make to keep one old piece of software running. Instead, you just keep these software up to date so that you can load all of the data files and keep the whole thing running and you can experience it years and years down the line after the actual game has you know stopped selling and all of that stuff. Yeah, but the thing is it something being open source doesn't mean it can't still be sold. It's such I mean, a absolutely. It's such a absolutely, common misconception yeah. and people I've seen developers even even as even recently in fact I was speaking to a developer about having their source opened and the, one of the most common things is people thinking that they're just going to get instant clones and people are gonna just going to copy what they do. And it's just, well, that happens anyway. It yeah, happens I mean, all the time. Look at mobile, especially, is such a, oh, it's a mess with everything. As soon as somebody comes out with a good idea, it's it's cloned and there's hundreds of clones. It's just, that is going to happen anyway. It's it's not that big a, of a deal in my in my eyes. Yeah, I I, I mean, it's annoying, but... I don't think there is much to be done about it. And I don't think the release of the source code is really, you know, I don't think that really advances it. I feel like that rather opens up opportunities for people who are actually like supporters of the game to build upon it and kind of, you know, try out their own ideas, improve it and keep it running for years down the line. And I mean, that opens up the possibility of also getting sales way after you've actually stopped development on the software yourself because you can just keep selling the data files. Yeah, exactly. That is an, such a good point. I mean, somebody might come along eventually and create some open data files, but that doesn't happen very often. And considering if you release a source code, but keep the data files as needing a purchase, most people would just be happy with that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've covered a few games there. How about some desktop Linux news? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, GNOME, or GNOME, however you want to say it, released version 4.0 recently, and it had a pretty big overhaul to the activities overview. Yeah, it's, um, it was sort of like, in some ways, a radical change, and in some ways, kind of like an incremental one. Um, I've, been, I've been using it. Um, I actually, I've liked GNOME for a while. Uh, I, 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 I say GNOME, by the way. Um, and um, yeah, I've basically enjoyed many things about it. I've liked the workflow. Basically, one of the biggest things that has been keeping me away from it is that it has sometimes been a little bit incompatible with uh, my streaming setups and things like that. But now nowadays, uh, OBS works really well on Wayland with uh, GNOME, and uh, I've been just having a good time. Uh, but the biggest things, I think the most controversial thing that they kind of did with the GNOME 40 version was changing the workspaces from uh, from vertical to horizontal. 
Yeah. That was a, a lot of people complained about it when the uh, initial like kind of um, design docs and kind of all of those things came out. You kind of just get used to it really quickly. I haven't really found any reason to complain about it. And, you know, for most purposes, like I, I've just adap- adapted to the uh, the way it works really well now. The more and, I've uh, thought about it, because I've switched to it as well, and I've hmm. been using it since maybe a day after it came out, I guess. And the horizontal workspaces actually just actually feels right. It's so weird. It just it feels like it fits and yeah, it looks I mean, really good. Yeah, it looks it looks really good. Personally, one of the things that kind of affected my workflow a little bit is that it's a little bit more difficult in my opinion right now to move windows from one workspace to another. It's not too difficult. It can be done. Uh, but with the way that the uh, the the sort of the workspace overview thing, it's a little bit tiny, so it's a little bit difficult to drag windows from there. And in that circumstance, like in that in that way, I preferred the vertical workflow. I also had to kind of redo a lot of my key bindings to make them work with the uh, uh, horizontal workspaces a little bit better. I can definitely see what you mean when you're trying to drag something from one workspace to the other you only get this small edge it would be better if when you if it picked up that you were dragging a window and then if you moved over if like the the activities overview screen would just flow over a little bit that would make it much better i think yeah that would probably be an improvement but i mean that's a relatively small thing and i think one of the big things that they were kind of chasing with this new release is they realized they did some like focus testing or something and they realized that a lot of people weren't using workspaces at all, which is insanity to me. Apparently, you didn't use or haven't used workspaces that much. I still don't. I still I just... don't quite get the need for them. How many windows do you keep open like See, during it, like a regular session? It's probably because of a certain OCD I have. I never have more than three or four tabs open in a browser. I can't deal with more than maybe five or six windows of programs open. I'd, okay, I'm, yeah. very, I'm very minimal anyway, which is why I think I just don't get the need for workspaces. Like, I don't keep a lot of things open. Right. I mean, I have... I mean, I'm just, like, looking up one of my workspaces. I have four different chat programs open. Then in <laughs> another workspace, I have SC Controller open and Steam open. Then I obviously have OBS open for recording purposes alongside a system monitor. I have two browser windows open on the um, second monitor. And then I have my main sort of browsing uh, workspace where I have Thunderbird open and I have another Firefox open. So but why mean, can't you go... why can't you just minimize them and then bring them up when you need them? Why do they need uh, to stay open on somewhere else? Because I don't minimize stuff in GNOME. It's kind of like not the workflow. I I don't right, I don't yeah. have the minimize button like at all enabled and I just like I I don't feel the need with my workflow to ever minimize a window. Okay. I'm I'm probably I I guess I'm pretty weird on this. I imagine I imagine the majority of people on Linux use workspaces. I would imagine. I just, yeah. I just because I'm so minimal in everything. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't personally really use them. I've used them a couple of times, and then I just sort of thought, like, nah, can't be bothered. 
Well, I mean, I feel like when I'm doing something like development, that easily gets me to open up like at least three additional windows and probably like a couple of terminals here and there. And I would go completely crazy if all of that was in a single workspace, because then I, I would basically need to like cycle my applications and I don't like to do that. Instead, what I do is I just open up another workspace and I, then I start working on some software project or something. And then I can still move back over to like look up IRC or check Telegram or talk on Mumble or whatever. Okay, fair enough. Well, overall, GNOME 40 has, yeah, it's, it's actually been pretty great. The only thing that annoys me is extensions needing to get updated for it. And some of them do take a long time. And um, obviously it's, most of them are community made, but it's like when you end up relying on them for your workflow, it does break things a little. But that's only really yeah. a problem if you're like us and you're, you know, on Arch Linux or something. So you're right on the edge of everything. Yeah, it gets a little bit easier if you're thinking about things from the point of view or of someone like a like a user of a Debian stable or whatever, where by the time you get around to a new version of GNOME, all of the extensions that are actually like imported and maintained have already been updated. Yeah. In our case, a new a new GNOME update basically always just wipes out some of the extensions and then you have to wait. The only um, thing I actually miss is dash to dock. That's the only thing I miss. I don't actually have like any extensions enabled right now. I'm, I'm running completely vanilla. I'm actually going to open up the extensions thing. No, I have one extension. I have GS Connect, so that I have, uh, I can like look up my mobile phone information on desktop. But that's the only extension I have. I don't have any anything else installed because I don't need it. Like I, I just like the GNOME workflow, and it kind of just works without extensions for me. I can see why some people might want to have some extensions to bring a more sort of traditional desktop workflow. But I just kind of like I've gotten used to the way GNOME works. And um, I don't see the need for any extensions beyond that. Yeah. So, yeah, GNOME 40. It's, uh, it's been quite a hit overall, I think. Yeah. Something that's not been a hit, though, that only came out today. So we're recording this Wednesday, the 21st of April. And uh, there's been a bit of a hoo-ha on the Linux kernel mailing list because kernel developer has basically banned the University of Minnesota for their researchers sending in malicious patches. Yeah, they um, apparently they had this, they, they, re- they wrote this paper called uh, On the Feasibility of Stealthily Introducing Vulnerabilities in Open Source Software via Hypocrite Comets. Um, it's a very, it really flows off the tongue, the, um, this fantastic name yeah. of this paper. What a title uh, that is. Yeah, it, I mean, it's academia. These titles get very long. So what they were basically doing is they were in, investigating if you could stealthily sneak in security vulnerabilities into an open source project. And in this case, they focused on the kernel. And um, they wrote a paper on that. And since then, they've done they've committed like some new changes that don't do anything. Like uh, they they kind of just fixed non-existing bugs that didn't actually like the the changes didn't really change anything they just moved some code around apparently and um because of the the fact that they've done this paper in the past where they've actually tried to smuggle in security vulnerabilities and now they're sending these completely pointless patches uh yeah they they basically just got banned and um 
There's been a lot of uh, a lot of noise made about this because it uh, does raise some questions about ethics in uh, doing this sort of research. And uh, oh, it's, the it's... more you dig into this, the more the, the the kind of like the weirder it gets. Yeah, it's it's it, this was really I was reading it and it was a true what the fuck moment because the more you read into it, the yeah, the weirder it gets because. Sarah Jamie Lewis, who is the executive director of Open Privacy, actually pointed out on Twitter that they and others already expressed their concerns in a co-op letter in 2020 about, you know, the ethics of this and about their concerns on it. So the researchers involved in this just seemed to just ignore that, I guess, and carried on with it. Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the biggest problem here, obviously, is that Typically, when it comes to doing research, there's two ways you can go about doing research. Either you observe or you like sort of interact with consent. And the problem here is, I mean, the, the study is important, the, the, or rather the, the topic of the study is important. It's important for us to identify, for example, how vulnerable open source projects are to these kinds of attacks, because these kinds of attacks are real and there are there are organizations and sort of there are parties to the software world that would be very much interested in sort of exploiting these kinds of vulnerabilities where you could sneak in backdoors and security vulnerabilities and things like that into key open source projects like the kernel, for example. But the problem here is that they weren't doing either of the two usually sort of acceptable models, which is one of them is that you ask for consent and then you can do sort of, you can interfere with a project or with other people's experience if you have their consent to do so. Uh, or you can alternatively just purely observe, what, but that means that you can't necessarily introduce behavior into the system because you have to rely on the system uh, behaving in some observable manner. And in this case, they didn't have the consent of the kernel developers. Nope. And they were themselves introducing behavior in the system by, you know, bringing in these changes uh, and, you know, on like intentionally trying to introduce security vulnerabilities. Yeah, the kernel devs and, did not look kindly upon this. And yeah, they, I mean, they, these... they basically said they're they're being experimented on, and they really don't appreciate that. And as a result, the university is basically banned from giving code to the Linux kernel now. Yeah, I mean, it, doing it this way, it wastes the maintainer's time. And the maintainer's time is precious. And let's say one of these security vulnerabilities had gone through and been merged and shipped. It's dubious if the experimenters, the researchers here, would have actually been able to no, notice that their patches had gone through, had been merged, or let's say somebody uses out of tree patches, somebody decided to like download the newest patches for their own system and then run that. I don't know who would do that, but I guess somebody could. And in that case, there would be actual systems with these security vulnerabilities and the potential for these to be exploited would be there. It's a tiny possibility, but it's technically possible. Oh, it's the whole situation is just absolutely ridiculous. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
because they've and... now sou- they've completely soured the name of the University of Minnesota now to the point that the Department of Computer Science and Engineering has even now released a statement because this has come out. They've basically denounced it, suspended the research, and they're saying they're looking into how this even got approved originally. And it's like, wow, those researchers are probably sitting there going, is it hot in here? Wiping away yeah. all the sweat. Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. Who has ever heard of the University of Minnesota in any kind of like a, a sort of important context? I mean, I I have never heard of anything coming from there, but I mean, also not super up to date on all of the the coolest universities of the United States, but it, it does give a bad name to the university for sure. Um, and the um, the names of these researchers have definitely been soured. Um, yeah, I don't know what this is going to like, what is going to come out of this, but the kernel developers definitely have good reason to uh, ban the university from participating in kernel development on these grounds. And the the way this study has been conducted, it shouldn't have been done this way. They should have either, like, they should have seeked consent for this from some kind of a person inside the kernel community um or they just should have stuck to observing instead of trying to you know push these things through themselves i just think it's completely absurd that any researcher out there would willingly put buggy code into something to write a paper about getting it in there it's just madness i mean i i can see the like motivation and i think this is an important topic to explore but not in this way. Yeah. The, the 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 in this case the methods are simply not suitable. Yeah, it's it's the method in the way that it was done. I mean, it's a it's a good idea to ensure the processes are all there and up to date to weed out bad code. But do, yeah, doing it like this is just bad. Yeah. Yeah. How about a little news about Windows? Oh God. We don't talk about Windows a lot here, do we? Well, I mean, it's gaming on Linux, not gaming on Windows or gaming on Linux. And then there is some stuff about Windows. But in future, you might be gaming on Linux through Windows, through the Windows subsystem for Linux. Sounds disgusting. (laughs) Right. So it's such a backwards name, the Windows subsystem for Linux, because it's it's completely backwards. It's it's Linux with inside. With, uh, just the naming of it, it just really bugs me. But anyway, Microsoft announced that the Windows subsystem for Linux can now run Linux GUI apps, so actual visual applications. It's not just command line anymore, and it's got acceleration as well for OpenGL rendering. So yeah, this is this is interesting equal parts concerning as well for many reasons but i wanted to just to bring this up because i when it comes to anything like this i really do try to be pragmatic and just look at it from karma sides so my my thoughts here is that this gives developers an opportunity where only today you actually shared me on telegram again when the developers like well I don't, I don't really know linux i don't have a linux machine i can't you know i can't make builds i can't test it with this this does give developers a way 
on their Windows machine, on their existing desktop to make and test and port their Windows games and applications to Linux from the comfort of what they're familiar with. And I think think that side of it should not be underestimated. I mean... That's that's definitely an argument. I mean, I'm I'm coming like I'm approaching this subject from the more radical point of view of uh, actually, you know, liberating ourselves from Windows. So, I mean, sure, in some circumstances, I can see there being value in a Windows-based developer being able to test their stuff on like Linux so that their applications support Linux better than if they didn't do any testing. Uh, the question I would raise there would be how compatible do we know that this is with Linux? So does the testing actually produce worthwhile information about these, to, like the the uh, how a certain piece of uh, software might work? Particularly, I mean, you, you kind of referenced games. So do we know, for example, that the OpenGL acceleration is good enough that you know it's uh, it actually produces the correct results both on this uh, inside this WSL environments and on actual Linux, or uh, is it possibly like not compatible? And therefore, if someone tests their stuff on WSL and it works there, but it doesn't work in actual Linux environments. Well, that um, that is an interesting point. But Microsoft in their blog post did make it very clear that the the point of it is to match actual Linux behavior. They're not splitting anything off because the I mean, point sure. is to get existing application like their their main point really is to get existing linux applications to work on windows so that then their developers will stay on windows but the side effect of it is that developers can then work on all these things and again possibly port them actually to linux and yeah the OpenGL acceleration actually uses mazer the open source drivers i mean that's that's good to hear but I, I just have like I, I, I have no doubts about the fact that they're trying to be as compatible as possible. My problem here is more or less just that can we can we validate that this is actually behaving the way that it should be? And secondly, I fear that if we just port all of the good stuff from the Linux world so that it runs on the Windows world, then do we risk potentially, you know, just going back to the time when everybody just uses Windows and then eventually the walls start kind of closing in around and maybe some at some point if we lose the uh, the, the, the foothold of freedom that we have currently, are we potentially going to end up in a situation where it's going to be Microsoft pulling some kind of triple um, uh, E tactics and... Uh, Possibly, then we end up just in another walled garden. My 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 main goal here is like in in sort of the wider goal is for us to actually be liberated from all of this Windows stuff. So, yeah. I mean, it's in a fair my point. in my utopia we wouldn't have Windows to begin with. But well, that would be nice, yeah. But realistically yeah. speaking, I don't think this is going to suddenly sway a bunch of Linux users and developers over to Windows. Like I said, I think the main point is they want to keep their existing developer workflows on Windows. But either way, I think it's, yeah, it is it is concerning because it's a, 
again a consolidation of power onto windows but yes the opposite side is it does also give developers the power and the ease to test their linux stuff which i think possibly could give us a net gain but we'll have to wait and see yeah on our final bit of main news today we have system 76 the the Linux hardware vendor who also do the Pop OS Linux distribution have announced Cosmic. This is their GNOME-based desktop environment exclusively for Pop OS. Now, their announcements on this have been slightly confusing for people because they they are calling it a GNOME-based desktop environment. That was their, you know, their official line, but it's just essentially plugins hooked into GNOME to give it their own layout and style. So it's not a full new desktop environment. It's not yet another desktop environment. It's just System76 really customizing the experience for their customers, both those just using Pop! OS or those actually using System76 hardware as well. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they're basically leveraging the extensibility of GNOME to kind of change it radically. I mean, they, they've been doing the uh, the sort of tiled window management thing on top of the GNOME platform with which, their previous thing. Which is super cool. Yeah, it, it does It does look pretty cool. And I've uh, since I've used tiling window managers in the past, it kind of intrigues me, and I kind of would like to test that at some point. The biggest problem there would obviously be um, if it will remain compatible with the um, as GNOME updates. But, um, I mean, I, I'll probably get around to like testing it at some point. But, yeah, I mean, what they're doing here, it looks pretty cool. And uh, it's it's a good way to for them to, you know, sort of explore a different sort of a, an approach to window management on, on a GNOME platform. Yeah, the, it's... Again, though, they're getting closer to System76 are to being sort of like the Apple of the Linux world, I think, because they're one of the perhaps the only vendor out there that has everything like they do. So they build their own desktops with their own cases that they make themselves. And eventually they're moving on to do that for laptops as well. They've got their own distribution. So Pop OS, which I always have to look up the spelling on because it's mm-hmm. silly. Um, yep. And now they're completely customizing the desktop environment as well. But yeah, I mean, I... They, they, they basically control almost the entire tech stack. But obviously with the, uh, the, the difference to something like Apple here is obviously that they're basing all of their tech stack on open source technology that others can also adapt. Exactly. And Cosmic as well is already up on GitHub for anybody who wanted to go and have a look at it. Mm. Well then, how about some quickfire news? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So you like retro shooters, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So there is one called Celico, which is an upcoming shooter that is being made with the GZ Doom open source game engine. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic to see GZ Doom being uh, sort of used in this capacity because it's such a good engine. And uh, this isn't the this isn't the first time we've seen like a commercial project use GZ Doom to uh, 
do this sort of a thing. No, there's been a couple now, but yeah, Salico, upcoming shooter based on GZ Doom, and it looks awesome. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I want it, and I want it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does look good. Now, we also have Delta V Rings of Saturn. It's a space mining game built in Godot Engine. The developer did something really interesting recently where they've turned the demo into a full game. So you can go right now on itch.io or Steam, download Delta V Rings of Saturn the demo and play through the farm thing if you want to. The only thing you can't do is load a save game. You can make save games, but if you want to load them, you actually have to buy the game. That's really clever. Yeah, that's a very nice way to uh, sort of ensure that you can get a proper experience out of a demo because obviously the problem with demos is how much do you show and other people want to see more than others. And in this sense, like, the you, you can experience as much as you can during sort of a single session. Yeah, I think it's actually fantastic. Yeah, it's a very clever way to do it. We also have Wasteland 3 is getting a full expansion with the Battle of Steel Town, which, <laughs> yeah, it's coming out on June 3rd, and it instantly reminded me of Fallout yet again. Even the name, the Battle of Steel Town. Hmm, okay. Hmm. Mojang have split the Caves and Cliffs update for Minecraft into two parts because it's so big and game-changing. Both parts, though, should be out this year. Right. We also have Across the Obelisk. Now, you're a big fan of Slay the Spire, yeah? Yeah, I've played a lot of Slay the Spire. So deck building card games are sort of all the rage right now. Across the Obelisk is another one, but this one has a sort of slightly unique flavour to it because it has online co-op where you and friends can team up and each control different characters in a party going through all the battles, choosing all the cards and so on. It's very cool. It's out now in early access. So if you like your deck builders and want to try something a bit different, go check it out. I'll probably need to look at that for a bit, yeah. Commandos 2 HD Remaster has now been officially released for Linux from Calypso Media. Nice to see. Yeah, I actually played the original Commandos many, many years ago. A fantastic real-time tactics game. Absolutely brilliant. And now Commandos DHD Remaster is available natively. So that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't tried the original and I haven't tried this one. But, I mean, since it's now on Linux, I may as well try the remaster at some point. Absolutely, you have to. Real-time stealth tactics games like that are actually brilliant. The final bit of quickfire news for this episode is that Portal Stories Mel, the absolutely fantastic standalone mod, has recently received Vulkan support for Linux in the new beta version. It's doing it using the DXVK native layer like Portal 2 does. Yeah, so basically they replaced the toggle with uh, DXVK. Yeah, so basically uh, the original Source games from Valve used a toggle or 2GL layer to basically transfer Duridex over to OpenGL, which is being replaced with DXVK to bring it to Vulkan instead. It's very cool. And yeah, Portal Stories Mel now has it as well. So, well, it's in beta at the moment, so you can switch over to it and test it out with Vulkan and see if it performs better for you. Hmm. I might need to go back and test it with uh, with the Vulcan support. I never got very far in Portal Stories, Mel. 
I didn't either, but it's got such a high rating and it does look genuinely good. I think this is a fantastic excuse to go back and play it. Yep. So, Samzai, what have you been playing on Linux lately? Stellaris has to be the biggest one. Um, I started a new game with the 3.0 release, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And um, I think it ate pretty much all of yesterday for me. I was supposed to have like a productive day and doing like actual university stuff, but I just played Stellaris instead. I've been playing this um, sort of an empire around like fanatic materialism. And um, one of the funky things I did is I sort of. I built up my technology level so much that I basically eclipsed the entire galaxy in tech, and that caused the other empires to behave rather strangely towards me. They realized that I was so powerful thanks to my technology that they basically, all of my neighbors just threw threw themselves at me and asked to become protectorates. So I've um, basically conquered half of the galaxy without going to war and uh, then i turned everybody into robots and they were fine with it <laughs> what yeah I, I just like decided that i want to like become a synthetic so i just picked up the 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 traditions that allow me to turn myself into robots and then at some point i was like i have all of these different species inside my empire now and it's it's becoming difficult to like manage all of them so i just set the default uh, sort of rights for all species to just assimilation. So every, every time a new new like species moves into my empire, which they do, I like I immediately when I stopped slavery, which I had for a while, but I got tired of slave revolts. Uh, everybody just wanted a migration treaty, even though I set the species default rights to assimilation, whereby immediately when they move onto my planets. They just immediately get turned into robots. And the entire galaxy is 100% fine with this. Nobody's stopping me. So I'm, you're creating this huge robot army. I'm basically the Borg, <laughs> but in, instead of going to other people to assimilate them, I'm like, hello, please come visit us on, on our assimilation planet. And then everybody's like, hmm, that seems like a good deal. I'm going to go <laughs> take, a, take a trip to the assimilation land. And then immediately when they, you know, land on the spaceport i'm like okay you're a robot now all right (laughs) it's so they come to borg theme park basically but they become part of the theme park all right okay well it comes as probably no surprise that i've been playing a lot of metro exodus obviously i've got a few hours in that now because it got released i also rage quit valheim oh yeah so we were exploring the swamp, and the swamp is really scary, and everything's trying to eat you and poison you. And I lost my body, all my fantastic gear, and I tried for like two hours to get it all back. And in the end, I just sort of gave up because I just, I had nothing available to build a raft to get back over just to run and grab my stuff because of where. I spawned, there was no meadow around to get any of the normal materials I needed for like the basic raft. But then I had the idea to just create a new world. And one of the best things about Valheim that we spoke about before is that you take your main character to any world. So if you're stuck, you can just make a new world. And because you start off in the meadow, well, you can just run around and get everything you need. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean that's a that's an idea that I didn't even think of, but yeah, that also works just as all of the fun stuff where you can play with different people without ha- worrying about losing all of your items. I mean, it's the same functionality; it works the same way for that particular circumstance too. Yeah, the other game that I've been playing is another recent release. It's called Voxel Tycoon. Now, it's a it's a management sim. That's also a transport network sim. So it's a bit like Open Transport Tycoon Deluxe, things like that. But it's also got sort of a slight Factorio element to it even. Yeah, it's it's lots of things. It's got a research system and everything, but you're constantly laying out roads and rail tracks and so on. And it's set in a... Well, they say it's an infinite voxel world, but I don't really know if it is truly infinite or not. But you start off, so in this small land, you start building up, connecting cities together. And then once you start getting a lot of money roll in, you can buy more sections on the map and it just gradually sort of expands and expands. Yes, very, very good. For an early access release, Voxel Tycoon, definitely go check it out. It looks really, really good and it plays really well. So, yeah, it has been a busy couple of weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening in very quick succession, sort of. And I think we're still, like, due for a couple new releases, if I recall correctly. Yep, we have Total War Rome Remastered coming up soon. Ooh. That's going to be a very interesting one to take a look at because it's Feral Interactive developing it as well as porting and all at the same time. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. It's a good thing that I got myself a summer job because all of these new releases are draining my wallet dry. Yeah, I know that feeling. But that is it for this exciting episode of Dragon Ball, no, wait a minute, of News Punch. Yes, that is what we That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, nailed it. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. We are signing off. Yep. Bye. Goodbye now.